everybody, this is Jake McGrail of CITR Sports Broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the unceded grounds of the Musqueam people. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9, always keeping you up to date with the latest UBC Thunderbirds news and stories. For this week's show, Ryan Alfonso sat down with his friend Connor Pierce, who is a member of the UBC Varsity track team entering his third year as a Thunderbird. He is also a successful para-athlete with cerebral palsy and has represented the American national team at the 2019 Parapan Games in Peru. He spoke about his story as a runner, with his beginnings, his recruitment to UBC, and his goals for the future. We have also, for the first time this semester, new varsity sports action to talk about, as despite the Canada West Golf Championships being cancelled, the Thunderbirds took on UVic and UBC Okanagan in the first of a series of BC-only tournaments. We will have a recap of that in our news roundup, but first, here is Orion Alfonso and Connor Pierce. Hello, Connor. Good, uh, good to see you. Um, how have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Yeah. Um, It's a a beautiful day here in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, Yeah. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, man. Connor, you are one of my, one of my first friends that I made here at UBC. I met you before university even started at Jumpstart, the little introduction that we had to university and we've been friends since same faculty, same classes. Yeah. It's um, sorry. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. Like we're already two years in man. Like, like I can remember first just getting here and how big the campus seemed and, and checking everything out for the first time. And, and now it's like, you know, third year seems so far off to me, but now, now we're in it. So it's, yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> Passed by really fast. Yeah. But um, yeah. So Connor is a, UBC Thunderbirds athlete and um, go ahead you introduce yourself for your athletics. Hey everybody um, my name is Connor Pierce I'm from the United States um, I'm a UBC Thunderbirds varsity track athlete um, I'm also a Team USA para athlete um, with cerebral palsy which affects the left side of my body um, and I compete in the T36 disability classification against other athletes with cerebral palsy and traumatic brain injury. Um, and I've been running, I've been running with UBC since the fall of 2018. So two years ago, um, I've been running track since 2017. And before that I was a distance runner for a few years. And, and yeah, um, I've just been, I've just been living my dream for these past few years, studying kinesiology at UBC, um, you know, hanging out at this wonderful campus and meeting lots of great people. Um, I represented the United States for the first time last year at the Pan American Games in the 100 meters and 400 meters. Um, that was my first like big, really big time representing the U.S. Um, and it was it was the culmination of, of a lot of hard work. And you know, with the Paralympics being pushed back until 2021, I'm still aiming for it. But if that doesn't work, I know that I know that 2024 is also an option. Um, um, yeah, anyway. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was actually going to ask you about when you started with track. Um, when, when did the idea of becoming, uh, an athlete come into, yeah. come into being? Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit. So, so, um, I'll take it back to 2013. Um, I was, I was overweight and the doctor told me I had to do something about it. 
Um, and I didn't get up right away, but once I did, I was, I was off and running and I started, I just started working really hard, like on my own in my own time, because I knew I had to change something. Um, or I was looking at a future of really poor health. Um, and my dad noticed this and he hired me a personal trainer who I'm still friends with to this day. Um, and with the help of this trainer, I lost 15 pounds in less than three months. And that was only the beginning of my metamorphosis. Um, you know, after, after, after that, um, we started lifting heavier and heavier weights, doing a lot of cardio. You know, I, I accomplished a lot over, over that year from 2013 to 2014. And I was looking at a completely different person. Um, when I got to high school, I wanted to challenge myself even more. So I turned out for cross country in grade 10. Um, and slightly before that, I, I commandeered a running coach um, because I wanted to do a 21 kilometer race, um, which I ran that fall. And then I went right into cross country after that. Um, so it was like, it was a lot of running for that time. Um, you know, it was a great, it was a great, uh, that first season was great for me in a lot of ways. I got to meet a lot of people, but I also got injured in my knees. I ended up with Osgood slaughter and I had to take a little bit of time off. So, um, but then, then I came back the next year and cross and I did even better. And then I, around the same time, so this was now late 2016, I found out about about Paralympic track and field, which is um, track, as you probably know, track by this point, track for athletes with physical disabilities. Um, and I figured out, so in the Washington, in Washington state, which is where I'm from, um, they have something called um, the, the ambulatory disability division, which basically allows for competitive level um, participation in track at the high school level for athletes with disabilities. Um, and at that time, I just finished cross country for the year, and I found out that they only offered the sprints events for that group. So basically, at that point, I had to make a change, and I started changing training for the sprints. I ran the 100 and 200 and 400, and I ran it all through that year. I was a triple civil, silver medalist um, at the state championship, wow. and then and then after that, I advanced to the junior national championship. Where I, where I swept the medal table in the sprints for the T36 class. Um, yeah, and then, and then the, following, the following year, that was a really, uh, my potential really started to explode at that point um, because, because after that, like, like that, I had some really, really solid training under my belt at that point and a lot of confidence having been built up from that, um, from that competition. Um, and I'll tell you as well, when I was, my training for that event, like, like I made, I made optimal training happen in an unoptimal training environment. So what happened was I was touring for university at that time. So I was going all over the country and we basically put this national championship right in the middle of all this. And so like, I would literally wake up in the morning, like before we went to a college tour or something and like pound out miles on the treadmill and lift weights. And then we, then we'd go and we'd, and we'd walk, um, you know, we'd walk all over a campus and get information and stuff. And then I could, we'd come back to the hotel and I'd do it again and, and stuff. Um, so anyway, that was, a, that was something, a lot of training went into that experience. And that was where I really started to like, like feel like I had some potential beyond high school. Um, 
And then, and then I ran, and then I ran cross country in my senior year. And I actually got my school's most valuable player award for cross country um, for, for, I don't know, for normally it's given out for performance, but I mean, but there was something about my performance that my coach noticed. He said that he's, he watched as I took off more time from my starting 5k to my finishing 5k than anyone in his career. So I went from running, from running 28.04 as a sophomore in high school to 21.30 as a senior. Uh, And I, and I ran, and I ran as a scoring varsity athlete at the bi-district championships, which is one level below the state championship against able-bodied athletes. Wow. Well, that's, I mean, it's not surprising considering the amount of work you put in, Uh, especially that time where the the time where you were doing, you're waking up before uh, doing your, doing your training. And then even afterwards at the end of the day, training some more, I mean, it's not surprising that you made such a, such an incredible leap in performance and I mean, my question is, where did, where did the motivation come from? What, what motivated you? Do you have any, do you have any specific role models besides the personal trainer that you had mm-hmm. um, at the start? Or was there, any, were there any particular standout role models that you've had that have kept you this dedicated? Yeah. So, so, I mean, my dad, I've always had a great relationship with my, with my father. He's a great guy. Um, you know, I know, I know that he wanted me to succeed Throughout my life, he always wanted me to succeed. He was always in my corner, encouraging me and supporting me. And at the same time, I think, I think for him, the CP has been, it's been a, it was a reality that was really hard for him to accept in the beginning. Um, you know, he was, he, he took it really hard um, when he first found out about my diagnosis. And so, but I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to make him proud. I wanted to achieve success so that, so that, you know, I wanted to be someone who he could be proud of. And so that was running with something to help me do that. And I can just tell he's, he's, he's a super proud dad. He's come up to like most of the competitions I've ever been a part of, you know, in my half marathon in 2015, he ran with me for the last four miles. He literally jumped into the race in the last four miles. And he ran, he was with me from there up until like probably the last 200 meters or something like that was just he's he's like yeah one of the things like my my relation my role models like I don't know I owe my parents everything because without them encouraging all the time I could never compete and you know they 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 always told me like you know they never told me like I can't do this they were like you know you might not do it do it the same way that other people can but but you can do it and and make it your own and, and be successful in your own way. So that's, that's something, yeah, my parents are, my parents are tremendous um, role models for me. They've given me a lot of support over the years. Um, And also just one of the things that always challenges me to be better, better is, you know, I think about, I think about who I was before I was losing that weight in 2013. I told myself I would never go back to that again, that that was, it, it would only go up from there and I would never like return to who I was at that point in my life. And, and, you know, I never have returned to, to being that same person. And, and I know I'm someone who that, that, that prior version of myself would be proud, proud to, proud to know and proud to, you know, we would have a very interesting conversation if I could shake hands with, with the version of myself who existed seven years ago. I, you know, that's, 
so yeah, those are, those are some of the things that, that, that fuel my fire, um, you know, when things get tough. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, parents, man, parents play such a big role in almost any athlete's life. Any, all of my friends who are athletes have said that their parents, just, just their motivation and kind of undying support is, is really just such a big part of the whole equation of, yeah. of making it as, as an athlete from what, from what I've heard me too, when my mom driving me to squash class is, is, is what, yeah. is what got me into squash. But um, now coming to university, you, you are university sports, a whole, a whole other ball right. <laughs> university sports, something else. And yeah. what, what was it? What was it that made you come to UBC? What was the recruitment process like? Yeah, what made you so, come to Vancouver instead of staying to the, staying in the U S yeah. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. So, so after I ran at the U S championships, I have, I have these great friends um, who I know through Paralympic sports and through, through the U S Paralympic kind of, they, they're, they're coaches for team USA. And anyway, so they, they got in, they have a friend who they got in contact with and he's, um, he's a special education teacher and he's, um, he, he sort of knows, he sort of helps out with the recruitment process. He knows all these college coaches. And so what happened was, was we narrowed it down to Marquette university, university of Illinois and UBC. Um, now, now this guy, his name was John. Um, he got me in contact with the track coach at, at UBC. And so that, that sort of, that's how that process sort of started. And so while, while I'll tell you about how I met him in a second, but basically we were down to these three schools and all three of them had like really, really good kinesiology, exercise science type programs. Um, ultimately it came down to UBC. Mar Marquette, basically their track program ended up not being accommodating in the way we thought it would be. Um, so that was not an option for me, unfortunately. So I had to, I had to nix that one. And the, it ended up being an athletics training degree as opposed to a kinesiology degree. So and it was a, it was a really committed high class kind of master's program. And, you know, if you're not really committed to athletic training, it's like, it's like, you know, I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready to make that choice. Um, then when it came to the university of Illinois, they, they actually, they had a very, very good kinesiology program. I'd say, I'd say it's not quite as good as the one at UBC, but it's close. It's very close. Um, but um, they have, they have like a very extensive um, development center for wheelchair athletes, for Team USA wheelchair athletes. And in fact, a lot of the best wheelchair athletes in the USA have gone to the University of Illinois and Penn State University which are kind of the two places that just like, like, you know, their, their wheelchair development programs are, are, you know, head and shoulders above like most other places in the United States. So I met, met this guy named Adam Blakely, who um, is a Paralympian himself. Um, he competes in the wheelchair class. And um, we kind of talked about trying to make, like I, if I had gone there, I would have been competing with the club team some of the time against other able-bodied athletes. And then I would have been working out with the wheelchair team pretty much just in the weight room because, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything in common with them outside of that. Um, but ultimately it came down to UBC for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, they have a world-class kin program, which, which I'm so, 
I'm so grateful that that the two of us are able to be a part of it yeah. and move through it together. It seems like I don't know. It seems like every time I look at a ranking list, it moves <laughs> up by like by like one spot. I don't. I don't. Yeah. Who, who knows? Maybe it'll top the world one day. Um, but that was that was a big part of my decision. Um, um, and then the other thing, the other reason, of course, was it was the best track environment that it could be. So so. Um, um, the track coach. Um, so I'll go back to the story I was telling you before. John got me in touch with the track coach at UBC. He invited me to come up here and we had, we had a little conversation about what I'd accomplished in the past two years, what my potential was in Paralympic sport. Um, the crazy thing about it is that the track coach at UBC has an extensive history coaching athletes for Team Canada. Um, um, and he actually was the head coach for the Canadian Paralympic team at London 2012. And so basically he has this extensive coaching experience. He wanted to mesh these two very different athletic universes together in some way. And in me, he saw the potential to do that. And so, so you know, he saw, he saw my potential to represent the Team USA, which I've since made good on obviously. And, and we had that conversation he recruited me and over that next, this was in 2017. And over that next year, I made just some enormous improvements. And it, it just confirmed that to him that what he saw in me the first time was turned out to be true. Um, and so that year, I'll tell you about senior year in a moment. Um, that year, I ended up upgrading to two gold medals at the state championship running in the para-athletic division uh, for the second time. And I got a silver medal as well. And I also won a team trophy for my school because basically the way it works is para athletes in that situation are on different ranking tables. And I topped all my performances together, helped my team win in that division at that meet. Um, and then when I returned, in some ways that was just the beginning because when I returned to high school, we had a little like final, we had this little celebration at the end called senior breakfast where everyone comes out and we have this big breakfast buffet and all the seniors sit around and talk and, and we eat and stuff. And there are some final words from the teachers and faculty. And then, and then finally there are these awards and, and there was an athlete of the year award and, and they invited me up on stage and they called my name and I got this, this award. That's like the highest, the highest one, this school, the school can offer an athlete. Um, it's for multi-sport athletes who demonstrate, um, contribution to the athletic community and in really significant ways. And, and yeah, that was, that was, I didn't know it was coming quite yet at that point, but that was a really proud moment for me to, to have that happen. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and anyway, so after, after that, the, the rest is kind of history for me. I, after a few competitions that summer, I made my way to the, to the UBC campus and, and I've been training here ever since. I, I just saw, I just saw, um, my coach yesterday, he was, he was just getting back into the office and stuff. And, and, you know, we're, we're just, we're just getting ready to getting ready to sort of roll this out. So, so I'm excited, man. It's been like, it's been like seven months since the last time, you know, we were officially, we were officially practicing together. So it's, it's a big deal. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you'd also mentioned, um, you'd mentioned to me that, uh, UBC doesn't actually participate in para sports particularly for example yeah. you your, the, the events that you participate in through ubc's is non-para events right yeah so, so i was curious about if 
if the yeah if you could elaborate on that and if if the training between the two training for a non-para event is that by any chance any different from the training that you would regularly do for your own events right so so basically the way it works for me is is you know i'm i'm not quite up to the level that a lot of collegiate athletes are on but but that's okay and my coach knows that and so the way it works is i compete in events where you know the qualifying standards aren't prohibitively high so for for first year at least that was there were four meets available i i had an injured hamstring during that winter so i wasn't actually able to compete through the winter season um but anyway i got four meets in that outdoor season which is is like really good for 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 a collegiate athlete especially one coming off an injury like i was um and that and that went those went really well um but you know after that the meets started getting prohibitively more difficult and i had to so i had to siphon it off but what was cool about that there's a there's a meet called the desert challenge championships they're held every year in um in phoenix arizona um the area is called mesa arizona um at that um Arizona State University. And um, so the way, the way it worked for me was it was great timing, um, at least for me first year, because every year the Thunderbirds compete at the national championships for, for track and field, it's the NAIA national championships. So they're competing against, against really, really high quality. We're talking about, we're talking about, um, you know, just athletes from the U.S. So so, you know, there, there are future Olympians in that, in those fields, I can tell you for that, that for sure. Um, and, and anyway, so at the same time that they were doing that, I had the privilege to travel to Arizona and compete um, at the Desert Challenge Championships. And the Desert Challenge Championships is kind of an interesting event because it's international, it's an international event technically, but it doesn't, it doesn't really have qualifying standards. It's more it's more of a marquee event to get people introduced to competing at the international level. And with competing at the international level, you have to be authorized to do so. Um, yeah, so, so anyway, um, basically when I'm not, once my season runs out at UBC, I go and I do my, my Paralympic events and most of them happen, happen after um, the, the collegiate events at UBC are, are wrapped up um, with the exception of some high performance meets that I'm that, you know, aren't really within my reach anyway. So, so that's kind of, that's kind of how I approach it. Um, and, you know, it's worked well for me, you know, who's, who's, who's to say what, what would have been if, if COVID hadn't happened, would I've gone to Tokyo? I don't really know, but, but, you know, I've, I've kept training and, and, you know, like all athletes were going through something similar. I just, I just focus on the training and, and just sort of make things happen. And, and I know that, I know that I will be on that world stage because I've, I know I've done it once already. And, and, you know, I know that one day I will, I will do it again. So, so that's kind of, that's one of the things that keeps me motivated. And that's kind of how I'm integrated into um, the UBC, the UBC track team. Um, awesome. And uh, outside of UBC, what are some of the power events that you've competed in? What has that been like? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you. So, so of course, I already told you about the Junior National Championships. I competed at 2017. Um, I did it again in 2018, and and that time I won. I won by a lot. Um, I I did I did really I did really well at that event um, in 2018, and and people were really impressed. Um, and I've also so 
I'll tell you a little bit more about the Desert Challenge Championships. And I want to back up actually and talk about the Paralympic classification process. So in Paralympic sport, we have this thing called classification where basically all different athletes in Paralympic sport have different disabilities that affect performance in different ways. And the goal of classification is to create an equal and balanced competitive environment where basically people are as evenly matched from a disability perspective as possible. So that when athletes get on the start line, basically it's anyone's game. Um, and so, so basically the way that works is there's, there are classifications, there are different numbers for each classification and they fall within a range. So, and there's a, so there's T which stands for track and field or F which is, sorry. So T stands for track and field, F stands for field. And then it's, it's a number that tells you the type and severity, the disability. So for visually impaired athletes, it's 11 to 13. And the higher the number, the higher the ability it is. So, so they're less impacted, the higher the number is. Um, the T20s are the athletes with intellectual impairments. They actually only have one classification. Um, and then the T after that comes the T30s class, which is the one that I am involved in. So that's one of the, I'd say the large, it has the largest range of most of the classifications. So it goes from T31 all the way up to T38. And so if you can, I won't go through all of them, but you can kind of imagine. So T31 is like very limited range of motion, very limited movement. The athlete is in a wheelchair. Um, you know, sometimes they sit on these things called, um, I think they're called, they're called um, power. I can't remember the name right now. I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But anyway, it's, there are these little sort of like tri, they're inspired by tricycles and the athletes sit on them and their mobility is pretty limited. So they push this thing forward with their, with their feet, basically going across the ground. And there are, there are official sanctioned events for that. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll tell you right now that, that when you see someone cover a hundred meters in, in a condition like that, it's, you know, it's, it's game on as far as I'm concerned. Like it's the ultimate no excuses kind of reality. Yeah. Like you have these people who are barely able to move at all and they're still out there breaking like national records and in their own right. And it's, it's, it's really inspiring to see. Um, but, but yeah, so basically T31 through T34, those are wheelchair athletes in the CP class. So for that group, the CP is significant enough that they have to be in a wheelchair or they have to be, it's, it's called race running, the thing I was just telling you about, or they have to use a, a race runner. Um, and the race runner has handlebars and like a sort of a saddle that they sit in and they propel themselves forward with their feet. Oh, okay. Um, and then, and then I wish I had a picture. Um, um, but yeah, um, maybe I'll find that in a moment, but yeah. And then, and so the 35 to 38 classes, those are the ambulatory classes so those athletes compete standing yeah. and for the most part without the need of an assistive device. Um, I'll, I'll get back to more, more about that in a second. So, so basically T36, which is the class that I'm in is for, it's called the, it's colloquially known, colloquially known as the as the coordination class. So basically what that means is the CP affects, affects the ability to produce coordinated movements. Um, more so than the classes that are higher up than that. Um, and so the main things that that has to do with are, are muscle power, 
um, you know, coordin coordination of movements, um, the ability to perform explosive movements, which in sprinting is really, really important. Um, and then, you know, often, oftentimes, oftentimes it's, it's balance. That's one of the things that I struggle with as well with my CP is, is balancing. I, I have a lot of stories of falling, <laughs> um, in, in when, when I've been running or, you know, there was one race, we may not have time for it on this podcast, but maybe I'll talk about that as well. And, and anyway, so that's, that's a classification that I am a part of. And so, and so, um, I've been a part of that classification since 2017 at the national level. So athletes are classed at the national level first and then the international level after that. And basically this two-tiered system, it's just a way, it's just a way to keep people honest to make sure that that the the impairment, you know, that the impairment is being double checked because it is very competitive. And so, you know, they have to be really thoughtful about about who they let compete against to and the process yeah. has a lot of involves a lot of documentation so you know i've gone to a lot of doctors and physiotherapy visits over the last couple of years just to get this documentation and you know um you then bring the documentation to a room and you have a classification appointment where you know registered nurses physiotherapists there are usually three or four people who have sort of volunteered and trained to do this kind of work and they take you for it's ever different for every classification but for the cp class they take you through a range of motion tests they ask you some questions about your impairment and your history they review whatever documentation they brought along with you so for me that's a medical form it's a diagnosis that confirms i have cp yeah. and it's a history of all the movement related testing batteries i've had done basically since since i was i think two or three years old something like that and and um, then they then we we do a few agility drills and they take you outside and they do um I don't know what it's called exactly but it's like it's like a zigzag kind of run I think they do it in soccer where you run at a cone and you pivot and you go the other way and you run at another cone so anyway it's about it's about really classification is about being as comprehensive as possible to determine who should compete against who um, it's definitely a complicated process. Um, you know, it's not perfect, but, but, you know, I think, yeah. I don't, I don't think that way because I don't know, it's, it's one of the few Paris for, this is one of the few bones that, that people like me, that we get thrown by the, the athletic community. So it's something, yeah. just something that I latch on to what's available and, and, you know, the classification, the other thing is the classification can change sometimes. So they're currently learning a lot more about how CP affects um, performance. Um, and so for that reason, everyone in the CP class has to be reviewed in 2021. So assuming there are competitions next year, I'm up for review and the classification could stay the same. It could go up or it could go down. Um, okay. and that's, and that's just part of the game. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, Speak, speaking of, um, the athletic community, I'm, I'm curious about, and I'm just, yeah, I'm curious about what the general response is when you tell people that you're a para-athlete. Do you, do you feel like other athletes treat you differently? Do you feel like um, they treat you like any other athlete? Is there, have you noticed? I mean. Right. Yeah. I think, I think, I think for me, like there's always, I've always had a lot of support in, in, you know, from all the communities I've been a part of. I think, I think when I came to UBC, um, there was a bit of an, 
adjustment, I had to tell people a little bit more about what it was and why it was there and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it can be complicated a little bit sometimes, but, but, you know, once people sort of get it, it's like, it's very, it's a very supportive thing. Um, you know, and, and I haven't had to encounter this too much once in a while, someone maybe, maybe isn't about, isn't about, you know, supporting para athletics and, and, you know, if, if, if that's them, then I don't know. I just, I just sort of get on with, with my stuff and, you know, I can't, I can't win everyone over with, with what I'm trying to do, but, but, you know, I've, I, um, you know, it's something, it's something that I, I have had to work so hard over the years to achieve self-mastery that, that usually if someone bugs me or something like that, I just, I just let it roll off my shoulders. Like, <laughs> like, you know, and in my experience if that's, I don't know, it, a secure, if someone's secure about themselves, they probably won't feel the need to do that. So, so, you know, I, I just, I just kind of, you know, take that stuff with a grain of salt and keep moving. Um, but yeah, like overall the environment, the athletic environment at UBC has been very supportive. Um, you know, I've had an outpouring of support from the entire track team. I've, you know, even people I barely know are like, you know, following me on social media and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, like, like, you know, even the distance group I've met, you know, I've encountered a lot of people from the distance group who, you know, basically at UBC that we've got a pretty big track team. So not all of the event groups interact with each other, other in the way that they would at, let's say a high school level where, where everyone kind of trains at the same time and everyone's kind of, you know, maybe there's more overlap. It's, it's definitely, definitely competing at the collegiate level. Things diverge a little bit. Um, as far as, as far as, I don't know, like, like, you know, how people train and, and when they train because the events are so different and specialized. So, so anyway, but yeah, back to the point of the question. Yeah, I've, I've had an outpouring support over the years. And, and one thing I've noticed is that it's sort of like, you know, I've heard this quote from somewhere, I think it's from a psychologist. Um, um, I think his name might be John Newman or something like that. I might be getting that wrong, but Anyway, he said something like, you know, you know, people ask like, what, you know, is the outcome good or bad? Or is there positivity or negativity? And he said, you know, it's the one that you feed. That's what, that's what will grow in dimension. So, so basically I've taken that and it's basically like, you know, my willingness to have confidence and to step it up and to be a part of these communities, even when it's not always easy for me, like that. I don't know, that gets, that gets a positive, that's more likely to get a positive reaction out of other people than, than, I don't know, if, if maybe I wasn't so confident or if I didn't believe, but, but, you know, but one of the things that keeps me going is I started, I started this for myself and I started it for my family, you know, that, that body transformation, when, when I was doing that, it was, it was for me, it was for myself. And it was also to make my parents proud and to, you know, have them not worry so much about, about, you know, what my health was going to look like over the next 10 years. So, so, you know, I've, I've achieved enough self-mastery that, that, you know, I just, I can just bring that to, to basically any one of these environments. And I don't, I don't get, I don't get, so I don't know, I don't get as nervous as, as maybe I would if I hadn't had these experiences backing up my, backing up my life. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been really good. That's what I'll say. It's been really good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just great to hear. I mean, that is really great to hear. I was, I don't know, I, I always 
imagine that there's potential for things to get really bad especially mm-hmm. like i mean we study we study about this we study about views on on certain um, like right. the sort the the sociology of sport that's one thing that we've studied in detail in kin yeah. and uh, it's it's so great to hear the amount of support that you're receiving and you were speaking about pride earlier on i can tell you without the slightest bit of doubt that pretty much everyone that you surround yourself with is immensely proud i'm talking about like me and um, all of our close friends were all so proud of you and, and the work that you do and the and the skill you possess it's amazing to all of us and for me feel that way it's yeah um, no yeah. definitely and I mean the, the the amount of work that you put in is truly remarkable and it, it it really makes me wonder how do you balance the the life of being you know a student athlete um a para athlete because i'm because i'm assuming there's also a lot that goes along with that in terms of physio yeah. and uh and yeah. and uh, other training besides just comp- training for for your sprints um so how do you manage your time yeah it's it's a challenge i am um, you know i just i just remind myself that when when things get harder when you know i i maybe i'm a little short on time or something like that just these we all have things that stress us out in life I just remind myself that, you know, basically anytime, anytime someone is overwhelmed or, or gunning for something that they know they have to do, but there are a lot of things going on at the same time, they ask themselves one simple question and that's why am I here? And so for me, I just prepare those answers to that question in advance. So I can remind myself, you know, I put myself, I, I, I've come to UBC I've become a track athlete here. I've become a para athlete. I've done all this knowing that I've put myself here willingly and voluntarily and, and of my own free will. And so, so, you know, that, that's sort of the crux of how I, how I manage. Um, yeah, it can be, it can be a challenge, man. Like, you know, there's a lot of, one of the big things that I have to do outside of training is a lot of stretching, um, you know, because, because the muscles, especially on the left side are so tight. Um, but, my right side also takes a pounding as well because, because it's the stronger side. So it's doing more work than the left side is when I'm doing these really high intensity, you know, activities. So there's a lot of recovery that goes into, into that. And, and, you know, it's just, it's just something that I take one day at a time. I manage my time like anyone else would. I, you know, I, I stay focused on what I have to do. Um, I just, I know that, I know that, you know, I know that if I, if I keep putting in the work, I will, you know, hopefully I will get the results that I want. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely not easy, but at the same time, I know, I know that I chose a hard path for, you know, both because I chose to be a part of these environments and because of the challenges that I live with, because, because on top of the CP, I also have learning disabilities that, um, that make school a little bit more difficult for me as well. So, so, you know, when, when things get difficult or I'm just, feeling overwhelmed, I try and, I try and stay positive And I try and remind myself that, that, you know, these are all things from coming to UBC with its world-class pin program to being a part of Paralympic sport to, to joining the track team. You know, these are the more, further and further I go along, the more and more I realize that these are voluntary choices that I've made. And so, and so when you have the simple question of why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why would I keep putting myself through this again and again and again. I just have that, an- I just have those answers right there. I can just, I can just put them into action. 
um, you know, the, the biggest antidote to these sorts of stresses is, is just for me to move on to the next task in the queue and, and hope that everything gets done. And, and, you know, it's not always perfect. It's, it's never perfect, but, but, you know, even when it isn't, I just go, I get on to the next task and keep moving forward and reach out for support where I need it. So it's just, it's something I've become accustomed to, you know, over the past, you know, especially the last, the last two or three years, but, you know, just living with, living with CP, it's something that, you know, you just, I just become accustomed to living with it and dealing with it. And I know that, you know, I know that it's what I have to do if I want to be successful. Um, Cause there are a lot of people who crave the same success I do. So, so I hope that answers that question. Yeah. Um, no, I, speaking of your success, power, I mean, power to you're going to hopefully accomplish great things within your field and uh, of, of, um, of sports. And I'm curious, what is, what is the future for corner appeals? What do you, do you see yourself focusing on competing even after university and yeah, so, so what kind of work slash sport life balance do you see yourself having? Yeah, it's, it's something that's still open to open to questions. Um, but I hope, I hope that when I'm done at UBC, you know, at least with undergrad, I'm hoping to do a master's if I have the option and, you know, basically, basically my, because we lost a year of eligibility due to COVID at the collegiate level, I'll have basically everyone's been given an extra year of eligibility at the end. So as things are right now, my collegiate eligibility should take me through the end of my kin degree. Um, and after that, my hope is that, so I'm, I'm part of the Thunderbirds track club, which is kind of a, it's, um, it's a pipeline into the UBC Thunderbirds and it also people continue competing um, post-collegiate. I actually have some of my, some of my great, like my good friend, John Gay, um, who represented Team Canada last year at the World Championships in Doha over the 3000 steeplechase. He, he's done with college. He's doing his master's now and he, he continues to compete for the Thunderbirds. So it's really, it's a club that has like, it's like all age ranges and, you know, all levels of competition, some higher, some lower, but, you know, I'm a part of that club you know, kind of, kind of, um, kind of on the side, kind of concurrently. And so, and so my hope is that when I'm done, when my eligibility runs out, I'll be able to keep training with them. And I hope that the coach, the coach at UBC has seen a lot in, in me and, you know, all the coaching staff feel a similar way. So I do, I am kind of hoping that, that they would consider continuing to train me after college. Um, you know, I hope, I'm hoping that, that I can continue training, but at the same time, I want to say that, you know, I'm just grateful for every race I get to run. I know a lot of people who are much more, you know, who don't have the challenges I have and they still don't make it into university sport. And for, for so many of them, their careers ended, you know, two, maybe three years ago. And, you know, with the end of high school and, you know, yeah. here I am, here I am still competing. And so, you know, I, I realize that, you know, while I am challenged, I also have privileges that a lot of people don't have access to. And so I'm grateful every time I show up for a meet, it's not like, it's not like, Oh God, like I have to put on the shoes again and do this again. It's more like, you know, I'm adding something. I look at it from an abundance perspective. I'm adding something to a jar of just all these great experiences I've had and that I get to continue on with. And, and you know, I think one reason for that might just be that my pathway to success in sport has probably taken a little more time and it's probably been a little bit more difficult and, and, you know, but, but, and that's one of those things that I think, you know, I just, I just approach 
the game differently. I don't, I don't look for when it's going to end. I just, you know, I don't know exactly when it was. I realized this, it might've been after my first year running at the state championship, but you know, I realized that there is no finish line. Not for me. Um, I'm always, I'm always going to continue running one way or another. Um, You know, how competitively that will depend on how well I do. Um, But, you know, there's something called master's athletics, which is for, for older athletes, athletes over the age of 35. And I'm pretty confident that I'll still be that knuckle dragger running, running 400s around the track, like, like decades from now, just, it's so important to me. It's given me so much. And, you know, whether I continue it in a, however far I continue it in elite level, I know that, I know that there will still be opportunities for me, for me to compete beyond college. Um, you know, as far as the job want to do, that's still something I'm figuring out. I'll tell you right now, I recently, I recently took up a coaching position with the Vancouver Thunderbirds and I work with grade seven to grade nine athletes a couple of times a week. Um, this is my first, still waiting to get on their payroll, but, but this is my first job where we're really looking at, you know, me getting paid for what I'm doing. And, and the group is so motivated and, and, you know, the kids are, the kids are just so awesome and, and all happy to be there. And, and, you know, I don't know, it, it, it's just, you know, sport plays such a big role in these kids' lives. It's like, you know, you almost, you almost don't realize that, you know, you kind of look at kids and you're like, oh, you think you're just, they're just kids or something, but, but, you know, they have, they have so, they have things that they need to keep them going and they go through highs and lows, just like us adults. And, and they, you know, they talk about their futures and who they're friends with and, and all kinds of things. And it's just, it's just, so I started volunteering there a couple of weeks ago and this will, hopefully progress into a new more formalized job arrangement over the next little while. But, but, you know, whether, you know, I'm just, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. Um, you know, a lot of athletes, a lot of Paralympic athletes actually start their own businesses. Um, a lot of the time, because, you know, it, you know, a lot of them need flexibility to be able to travel and compete and do all this kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe that is in my future. Um, who knows? I, I know that I want to stick with school for, for at least a while longer, and I hope I'm able to continue running at the same time. And I have a lot of friends who have been who have been able to do that really remarkably successfully. So I, you know, I hope I would hope that I can continue running for for long for years to come. Now, um, you know, so so I hope that answers that question a little bit. Oh no, um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I I can I can definitely see why. Um, para athletes would go into starting businesses because it's such a niche. It's such a it's such a uh, field that requires such expertise that not many people will have, and not many people will have that firsthand experience. So right, that yeah. that makes sense to me completely. Yeah, yeah and, oh, man. Good luck. Good luck to you and your future plans as well. I wish yeah. you all the best. Oh, definitely. Awesome. Well, Connor, it was it was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank oh, yeah. you so much. Thanks for the insight. And I will, I will see you on virtual class and when class starts again in person. Awesome. Sounds good. Good to see you, Connor. Thank you. Thank you again to Connor for coming on the show. We will now have a quick break for ads and PSAs before we get to the news roundup and the Thunderbirds alum of the week. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, 
we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Do you like laughing, hilarity, radical thought-provoking creativity, and laughing? UBC Improv is UBC's home for improvisational comedy, theater made up on the spot. Like us on Facebook to learn when our next shows are. Search for us on YouTube for our film sketches. And follow us on Twitter because we want the followers. UBC Improv. Insert cheesy slogan here. Let's get it on Sugar Let's get it on Welcome back. You're listening to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Now here's Diana Hong with the News Roundup, followed by Alan Wang with the Thunderbirds Alum of the Week. Hello everyone. To start off the News Roundup for this week, we'll take a look at the Runners vs. Rowers event from this past Saturday at the Rashpal Dillon Oval. This is the first competition event for both track and field and rowing Thunderbirds since the cancellation of competitions due to COVID-19. This competition consisted of 2,000 meter run and 2,000 meter argometer, which made it difficult but fun. The men's and women's teams were each competing in four separate timed heats, first two heats of athletes performing their sport, then switching up to the other to take over the challenge. Moving on to golf, on the same day of the Runners vs. Roars, UBC Thunderbirds men's and women's golf teams started their 2020-21 season this past weekend in Kelowna. UBC women brought back home a win for both season opening tournaments. This puts UBC in the lead for the BC Rivalry Series team standings with 6 points. A key highlight of this event was rookie Sonia Tang from Victoria, who had a score of 2 over 74 on the Okanagan Golf Club's Jack Nicholas designed bear course, which played at par 72 and 6,885 yards. This also makes her the leader of the Order of Merit with 190 points. Thunderbirds men's golf also had a strong start to this season by posting a team score of 2 over par 290. Ethan de from Edmonton won the first event of the weekend with the 4 under 68. The Thunderbirds performances from this past weekend makes UBC and Fraser Valley tied in the BC Rivalry Series team standings with 5 points each. Their next event in the series will be happening on October 14th at the Sandpiper Golf Course in Harrison Mills, BC, along with an 18-hole tournament on October 15th at Mayfair Lakes in Richmond. And that will wrap up the Thunderbird News of the Week. What a fun event for our Thunderbirds and great results from men's and women's golf teams. Good luck to the Thunderbirds golf teams next week. And now over to Alan. Thanks, Diana. I'll now be bringing the UBC Alum of the Week. For those tuning in for the first time, this segment looks at a former UBC athlete's life, not only in the world of sports, but what their life is like outside of athletics as well. With no time limitations, there will be stories from all throughout the history of UBC athletics. This week's Alum of the Week is an athlete who certainly showed his dominance throughout his time at UBC. Standing at 6'1 and born August 5th, 1982, 
Brian Johns became a member of the UBC swim team in 2000 and graduated with a Bachelor of Human Kinetics in 2009 and a Master's of Kinesiology in 2013. Starting the sport at the young age of five, Johns swam the Richmond Aquanauts and Racers Swim Club before making his way to UBC. At the time when he joined, the UBC swim team had just begun what was later known as the Decade of Dominance, where from 1998 to 2007, both the men's and women's teams won 10 consecutive CIS, now U-Sports, championships. Johns certainly helped the T-Birds with their streak in winning national titles, and over the course of his CIS career, he obtained a never-done-before 33 gold medals and a silver. Among those was a short-course world record in the 400-meter individual medley, with a time of 402.72 set in 2003, a record which lasted until 2005. Additionally, he was named the CIS Male Athlete of the Year in 2002 and represented Canada at three Olympic Games, placing 7th in the 4x200m freestyle relay and 15th for the 200m IM at Sydney 2000, 5th in the 4x200m freestyle relay and 15th for the 400 IM at Athens 2004, and 5th again in the same relay along with a 7th place in the 400 IM at Beijing 2008. A few months before trials in 2012, Johns underwent a knee surgery and unfortunately was unable to rehab in time for a signature event, the 400 IM. He announced his retirement later that year. Although Johns finished his successful career as an athlete, his passion for the sport remained and he became an assistant coach with the Thunderbirds from 2012 to 2016. And he still wasn't done because in 2016, he was appointed the head coach position for the Vancouver Pacific Swim Club and to this day, he's still happily coaching these swimmers at VPSC. And with that, thank you for tuning in to Thunderbird Eye on CITR 101.9. Besides listening to the show, the best way to keep up to date with UBC Thunderbirds news is to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CITR Sports. For Thunderbird Eye, this has been Jake McGrail, Ryan Alfonso, Diana Hong, and Alan Wang. Thank you for tuning in, and have a great rest of your day.